Hello everyone and welcome to this lease. My name is Jesus Hoyos. I'm the host of this film podcast and today I had the opportunity to speak to Matt Schrader, the director of SCORE, a film music documentary. The documentary is a thorough look into the world of film scoring with figures such as Hans Simmers, Danny Elfman, and James Cameron being present in the film. We talked about the process of making such a thorough documentary like this and the common ground that great composers have. I hope you enjoy this podcast and come out tomorrow, Sunday, October 22nd at 5 p.m. to see the film for yourself. You've been working on this movie for quite a bit of time. I was reading online. You've been working on this for two years. And previous to doing this film, you were doing television work. Uh, so what sparked uh, this documentary? Well, I, I always really liked the idea of music in film and, you know, how, how music is made for film. It's something it's unlike most other uh, musical, you know, kind of creative industries. Uh, you're not creating a three and a half minute song for the radio. Um, you're not creating something within a certain genre or certain parameters like that. As a, as a film composer, I mean, a, a movie may have a certain genre. You may choose to go in a certain direction. But um, some of the most interesting things that have ever been done in film music have been taking the idea of, you know, like a Western and giving it a really, you know, like modern electronic sound. Like that, that's kind of a cool hybrid of, of, uh, of different musical, you know, and creative ideas. So it's, it's interesting because I've always thought film was the most expressive art form that we have in, in our, you know, at least in the age that we're in right now, maybe holographs or something will replace it down the line. But um, as of right now, that's really the thing that where we can, you know, pack as much emotion as possible into the dialogue and, and the story, uh, and then also the visuals, and then also the music. There's all these different things that are playing off of each other, um, and, uh, and it, it just can be so powerful. And I've always thought at least half of that experience comes from just the music. Um, and you can ruin a movie with a film score, but you can also make a movie live forever uh, with, with a great score as well. Yeah, I mean, that definitely comes through in the clips that you show from movies. Um, I'm thinking of Inception. You show that clip at the end of the movie where the music kind of simmers out and how much emotion is added to that scene just based on the music alone, that maybe if it was absent, it would have been totally different. Um, well, it's interesting, too, because there's a now, now there's a, among the composers, there's, and this is a little bit dirty, so you'll have to, I apologize in advance, but among the composers, there's a feeling now that, you know, because we're in this kind of super realistic era of storytelling, you know, you go back and you watch the original Star Wars, you know, it, it may it may be a good film still, but it's also kind of corny. And now you see some of those things that, you know, they were able to, to you know, audiences back in the day kind of glossed over just uh, something that was just, you know, 30 or 40 years ago. Um, now we're in this era where everything is you know, shades of gray. Nothing is really, you know, if there's a bad performance or something that's not believable, it ruins the movie for us. You know, we're, we're so much more sensitive to that in film. And I think as a result of that, a lot of directors have asked composers to get more, more gritty and realistic with their scores. Part of the issue with that is that sometimes the scores aren't as interesting. You know, it used to be that you would get, some uh, some open spaces in a film, 
for the composer to be able to create music for. And, you know, I don't think we notice it when we're watching the film that it's a big, empty, open space. Uh, if there wasn't any music there, it would be extremely uncomfortable to watch. But because there's music there, it feel you know, that you can actually build in a certain emotion and charge up, you know, before the next scene. Um, or, you know, alternatively, you can let some scene that just played or something really powerful happen. You can let that echo kind of in the, the audience's head um, for, you know, another 10, 15, 20 seconds of just music if you just have an open space. So I think that's one of the shifts that's happened. That's more about filmmaking. But, um, but there is now the idea that, you know, a lot of composers – uh, wish that there were more themes that they could work into the into the stories. Sometimes the space just is not there, and it's hard to fit in, da, 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 you know, into something where it's just nonstop dialogue and action all the time. Right. I mean, there's almost this narrative in the documentary in which you weave how human uh, the experience of composing a score is, and I think Hans Simris has a line at the end saying that if that ever changes, he doesn't know what he's going to do. I mean, considering that you're saying there's less space, do you feel like there's a threat now with the very industry of composing music? Um, that's a good question. I, I don't think, I, I'll tell you, it is it is something that worries a lot of composers, a lot of people who are music, you know, movie music lovers. Um, it worries them a little bit. Um Having having you know interviewed as many people as we did for this documentary, um, I don't really share that that uh, that fear because I, I think that the value of music in film is something that is undeniable. You know, I, and I don't know that everyone realizes it right away, but I do think there's a there's a truth to it, if you will, and that's something that that uh, that will live on. So if we enter an era where it's it's you know it, all of a sudden it's uncool to have music in in movies there's always going to be one person that's you know that says hey wouldn't it be crazy if we put this music in the movie and and i think people will respond to it and really really love it because it it makes the experience um and sometimes it it uh you know it can take something a movie like gladiator you know if that had not had any themes in it at all um and if it was just you know just lots of action and lots of you know lots of kind of awkward conversation and and uncomfortable silences it may seem more gritty more realistic and you know more you know what, what we kind of look for in an episode of breaking bad but i don't think that it the movie would have lived on the way that it did because of Hans zimmer's music and uh I, I, so I think it's here to stay. Um, I don't think the orchestras are going to die out. I think sometimes people think of them as a little bit uncool, but um, but it's it's technology. I mean, Hans talked about this a little bit when we interviewed him, but it's technology of a different era. But it's an era that has evolved over centuries. You know, that's those those textures and those sounds and you know, a composer looks to an orchestra as a toolbox of, you know, or a, a, maybe a, a palette of different colors uh, is a, a metaphor that I've used before. Um, they actually call the different textures of sound colors and, uh, and composers can paint with those colors. If, you know, that you need something with a certain kind of a sound, the strings do something very different from what the trombone does, you know, and it's, it's something where you can start to really paint a, a, a unique picture with those different colors 
Um, so I don't see the orchestras dying out. In fact, I think they may be undergoing a little bit of a resurgence now that we've seen, you know, a, a lot of uh, composers doing live to concert um, events. And, uh, you know, Hans Zimmer went on this international tour with an orchestra. And uh, I think a lot of people rediscovered uh, just on that tour alone, even um, rediscovered that an orchestra is a pretty cool thing. It can do some pretty cool things with music. Yeah, well, I, I remember seeing that with uh, Hans Zimmer. I think it was last year. I remember he was doing all sorts of promotions about it. Um, so you cram a lot into this movie. Uh, I was paying attention to it, and I thought, wow, he's covering uh, the process of an individual composer while at the same time crunching all this history in there. Uh, how? What was your process for making the film? Where did you start? Did you start chronologically and say, okay, we're going to start with uh, music before scores were integrated into the film themselves and more of a live experience? Or did you start with the interviews with composers working nowadays? Well, it's interesting because we start of, you know, if you notice in the film that they're there and, and you, you just pointed out a little bit that um, there's a lot of different things that are, are cut together in a, you know, the, the, the pace, it moves pretty quick. You know, the, the whole film moves pretty quickly. And that was part of my, my fear from being in the news industry for a while is uh, in, in TV news. Is I, I want to make sure it moves, you know, and people don't get bored at some point of seeing someone talking on the screen or, you know, or, uh, or, you know, fiddling with an instrument or whatever. But, um, but I think that originally we started out uh, with a very different idea of the movie. We thought, you know, we can interview three, maybe four composers, uh, follow them around a little bit, and uh, and see their process. And and what we realized a few a few people in, a few composers in, um, is that they have different processes for different things, and it wasn't necessarily applicable. You know, the way that uh, a a composer like Tyler Bates, who's done uh, the, you know the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, one and two, and 300 and and uh, you know a whole bunch of other movies. Just Don Juan a couple months ago. Um, the way that he comes up with music is to just you know kind of freestyle on an instrument, and he has a very specific instrument that he's had somebody made custom for him. Uh, that's that is that's a you know it's pretty cool, but it doesn't. There's no other composer in the world that does that uh, to think up what's going to work in a scene. So if we have Tyler Bates talking about, you know, doing something with, uh, with a guitar viol, which is exactly what it sounds like. It's basically a hybrid between a guitar and a violin. If, if he's talking about how a certain way that he plays that against the picture, it might trigger certain thoughts. That's not something that's applicable to other, other composers. So we made the decision at one point to, try to create more of a cross section of the, the whole industry. And instead of doing three or four or five interviews for the film, um, we did 60 something. <laughs> wow. And um, so we did way more than we thought. And it took significantly more time than, than, than we thought it would. Um, but I think the film is a little bit better, a little bit more comprehensive and, and hopefully, you know, feels a little more definitive as a result of that. Yeah. I mean, I'll, as I was watching it, I thought, wow, he's really hitting the nail of all these composers. Um, and you highlight some of the bigger figures like John Williams and Hans Zimmer and then Trent Esnor at the end. Um, 
so I mean the, the scope of it really comes through um, in the film. Um, yeah, I mean I think a lot of people forget how many movie tunes they know. You know, it's it's uh, and, and that was part of the part of the fun of this is you know you get to kind of rediscover a lot of those those famous pieces of music that you know if I said you know hey real quick hum the tune to uh, you know, and I just name an obscure movie. You might say I, I have no idea what that is. But then, if you're if you're watching, you know, the 1989 Batman movie, um, and you you hear that theme, you're like, oh yeah, that was Batman. That's right. Yeah, you know. And, and so there's a little bit of a rediscovering of what makes part of film so powerful um, that I and I don't watch a movie usually with the music in mind. Um, I think they probably notice it halfway through and they say, oh, the music's pretty good in this. Um, but we're not thinking about it when something happens in a movie and the, the music swells. It's kind of this emotional thing that's happening in, in the back of our mind, but we're not consciously thinking about it. So um, we were kind of hoping that our movie put some of that music through a, a little bit different lens so that people could actually kind of, you know, even if it's just for a few seconds at a time, actually focus on what has been, you know, in the past seen as background music. And what was the, how, how did you select um, what music to include? Because you could have easily included um, just um, the themes that people were familiar, but I found it interesting when you put a clip from Transformer and from, I believe it was Jack Reacher, um, which showed these movies aren't associated with an iconic theme, but it showed how the music played into uh, into the movie to make it a stronger product. The uh, it's interesting because a lot of people don't think of Transformers as that great of a movie series uh, at all, especially some of the later ones. You know, have, have been panned by a lot of critics at least. Um, but the music from is some of the best kind of electronic orchestra hybrid music that is uh is being made right now in especially in in film but um but I would argue in a lot of different you know areas of the music industry um and Steve Jablonski the composer of of that whole series and you know a bunch of other movies too um is uh just a wizard when it comes to creating these you know, electronic masterpieces. Um, they're really, really impressive. And so he actually sat us down at one point, and this is part of the part of what's in the movie, but he stripped down all of the different layers that are in a score and was showing us, uh, you know, all of the, and yeah, I mean, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of different tracks uh, that, that are, you know, layered on top of each other to give the effect that, uh, most composers do, and and with Steve, it's even more than that. But um, but it's a really kind of interesting world, and uh, you know, I wouldn't know where to start with all that stuff. I'm sure I could probably, you know, it would take me forever. I'm sure I could eventually find my way, but um, but it's really impressive when you see it happening. And mixing becomes the issue because you have all of these millions of different you know, potential sounds that you've refined into hundreds of different sounds. Now you need to structure them all. And, uh, and so we tried to use that as uh, an example of showing the mixing process and how much that can, uh, can, you know, make the music good. 
Um, or, you know, it, it can make the music bad. We didn't focus on that, but, um, but, you know, you, you do want to have those distinct voices in a piece of music that, that are doing different things so that, you know, you can tell the difference between those two. And that's like, we were talking about the strings versus the trombone versus, you know, whatever it may be, a piano um, versus something electronic. Those are all different characters and different colors that you can paint with. Um, and you, you know, you want to make sure you're not painting all of them all over the exact same canvas, you know, and you end up with a, some horrible shade of brown, but, um, but you do need to, to have some rhyme or reason to all of that stuff. And I think that uh, he was a really good example of kind of someone who is working with so much and has to really focus on mixing it down into something that's workable. Yeah, and I think that really comes across. Uh, there's a line in there where he even says to the camera, you can't hear this, but I'm hearing it, which shows how in tune he is with the composition and what it's eventually going to turn out to. While someone untrained like I am, I, w I wasn't able to pick it up at that point. But as he's explaining... Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of them, you know, Brian Tyler showed us them. What he said was, he doesn't even have to look at what the instrument is in uh, in in his, you know, on his computer when they're in the, the mixing process. After they've recorded everything with musicians and everything, they go through these, the, you know, these really long days of mixing everything, trying to make sense of of everything they've recorded and, and make it, you know, sound balanced. And, um, and he was talking about how he can tell from the waveform, uh, which for those who don't know, it's, it, or work in audio, it's just the, uh, it's the digital display of how much sound and kind of the, the, that texture of the sound as well. But he can tell just by the waveform, what instrument it was. And we quizzed him on a few of them just right there. And uh, and he got them all, so I, I think he's telling the truth. But it's amazing how comfortable a lot of those composers are with something that you know to us would just look like some little clip of audio. But to them, that's a you know that's a trombone you know from you know made by this person and played by this person. They can tell those things. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so I want to. Uh, ask something uh, about the perspective of the directors. So you had David Cameron uh, speak a little bit, and there was archival footage of Spielberg talking about John Williams. Uh, Cameron uh, was joking about how he is sometimes hesitant to meet with the composers that first uh, that first time for the spotting session. What do you think someone like him and possibly other directors have this attitude of they finished the movie and now it's the time to make the composition uh but they they don't want to exactly i don't know let it go um to that point yeah i mean it's a, it's so there's two things to this um i have been surprised at how how few directors uh but you know when you look at all the movies that come out in in the theater it's kind of surprising to see how few of those movies that could be really musical and fun, you know, don't have what, what they could have been. Um, and I think then you look at certain directors that do it really well. And I actually think James Cameron does it. Most of the directors we think of as, as really good directors, they are people that understand that musical component. So, you know, you think about Spielberg and Cameron and Christopher Nolan and, uh, Martin Scorsese and, you know, a, a, a bunch of these other really well-known kind of proven directors over uh, over the last couple of decades, um, they 
get it a little bit more. And um, one of the difficult things, obviously, is finding the right composer. So that's that's a challenge in and of itself. Um, sometimes you can just say, I really like what that guy, that composer did for that movie. Um, let's call him up and see if he, if he wants to do ours. Um, sometimes it's as easy as that, but um, there's a lot of chemistry that takes place. You know, over three months, you're, you're having a lot of meetings with the director. Um, and, you know, if he doesn't like the direction that you're going with, you know, the early versions of the music you read, you, you, you have written, it really becomes a time crunch for the composer, you know, and all of a sudden it's not really as enjoyable. It becomes work. Now you need to find something else that doesn't quite, you know, if you're a composer, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to write something that doesn't quite feel like it's your style. Um, and you need to try to find whatever that is so that it meets the creative visions of the director too. So there's a lot of kind of those, those internal chemistry things and, and composers do get replaced. Uh, you know, it, Rogue One a couple of years ago um, was a good example of this um, where it was, let's see, who was named? I think Alexander Desplat was named to be the composer of, he was going to be the first composer of a Star Wars movie that wasn't named John Williams. Hmm. And, uh, and they, uh, they didn't like the direction that he was going with the music. And uh, they, they replaced him and they said, okay, well, thanks. Uh, you know, here's, here's your, uh, here's your, your fee. And uh, we're going to go a different direction and not use any of your music. So none of his music ended up in the film. Instead, they brought in Michael Giacchino, uh, another composer. Um, and it's interesting because that's happened throughout history. Uh, we mentioned an example with Chinatown in the movie, but um, also Pirates of the Caribbean was a movie. The original score to that um, was written by Alan Silvestri, and Disney did not like it, and they brought in Hans Zimmer um, and, and some people on Hans Zimmer's team very last minute on that. I think they only had a few weeks and uh, for the whole movie. And uh, they they put together that score that now I think most people know because the movie was pretty good and the music was pretty good. Um, and they were able to kind of unlock that magic. So um, I, I do think that there is a working relationship between a director and composer that has to be there to have a, a musical movie. And, um, you know, it, it's it's amazing how well that chemistry can lend itself to different things. Cause then a director like Steven Spielberg can say, Hey, John Williams, do you need a few more seconds for the score? Like, do you feel like you need, you know, and the, the ending of ET, which we, we, we mentioned in the film, uh, there's a big open space there for music that was not there on the original version. But Steven Spielberg said uh, that he would give John Williams a little bit more time so that he could make that music really, really sing and it could match all the rhythms and the editing could all kind of sync up. And um, that usually does not happen unless you really trust your composer. Cause yeah, directors working on a movie for a few years, uh, a composer usually comes in later than that. Um, at, you know, maybe they're working on it for six months at the most, but um, it's the director's baby. So you really got to trust your composer. Um, and their talent to be able to do something like that. And you see certain people who do. Uh, Christopher Nolan works with Hans Zimmer a lot, and so does Ron Howard works with Hans Zimmer a lot. Um, and they trust each other, and they can run ideas off of each other. And Hans Zimmer can say, hey, what do you think about doing this with the editing? And 
you know, Chris Nolan can say, oh, that's not a bad idea. What do you think about doing this with the music? And, you know, it's, it's that kind of creative minds that are, uh, that, that aren't drawing boundaries on, on where that ends up, but they're comfortable discussing those things. And that's where you get some kind of interesting uh, combinations of artistry. Right. So it's more of a collaboration. That's when you get something really great. Yeah. I mean, when you have two people that, that get each other creatively, um, and especially when you have, I mean, in film, this is most apparent, um, but when you have a director who's, who's handling really the story and the actor's performances um, and, you know, overseeing everything, but, um, but, uh, you know, he's not necessarily the cinematographer or the costume designer or whatever, but he does oversee or he or she uh, increasingly, she, they do oversee everything, but I think that music, you know, it, it really can change how a movie is seen by an audience. And, uh, you know, I think if Jurassic Park had like, you know, some some electronic, you know, synth kind of a, a score, if it sounded like Tron Legacy did, you know, a few years later um, and was was uh, which Daft Punk did. Um, I think we'd think of Jurassic Park a lot, a lot differently than we do because it had that that, you know, really now now famous uh, theme or pastoral theme that will just. You know, it'll just live on forever. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Jurassic Park. Just a couple of weeks ago, I had the theme stuck in my head, and I haven't seen that movie in years, and it just popped up. Um, it just stays there. Isn't that crazy? That's the other thing is this stuff. You cannot watch a movie for a decade, and and some someday you'll just – maybe you'll hear a little fragment, a little piece of it on something, and then it's stuck in your head for like a week. You know, and it's it's just it was in your head somewhere, but uh, but you know you kind of unlock that again, which is kind of the cool thing about music. Yeah, yeah. Um, so to close things off, uh, I wanted to get your opinion on what you think makes for a great composer, because in a documentary you show people from different musical backgrounds and who handle compositions completely different. Some of them conducted themselves. Some of them prefer to be uh, behind the scenes, um, seeing how the music is sounding when put together. Do you think there's any commonality between people that really stand out? Um, there definitely is, and I don't know if this is a really if this is a really uh, sexy answer, but um, <laughs> I do think that that chemistry between a director and a composer is is half of the equation. Um, if, if you can develop that working relationship, cause I mean, you're going to have to spend a lot of time in the same room with that person, um, discussing things that are, you know, it, it's difficult enough to express ideas, you know, specific things. But when you're talking about emotion and like, you know, how do you communicate certain things that are musical if you're not really a musical person, you know, and that's where a lot of directors struggle and they, they have to look to a composer. But, um, but I think you have to have, you know, you've got to be comfortable with each other, a director and a composer. I think if you have that, then the groundwork is there and you can build something that is, that is really powerful and impressive. Um, but, you know, a lot of times that doesn't that doesn't, uh, you know, director and composer aren't able to get on the same page and things just feel a little bit off. Um, but uh, but I do think that every great score that you see 
um, in in our movie and and probably in the future uh, is is probably because at least at some point during the process, the composer and director got on the exact same page and everything clicked. And that's kind of, you know, a, a magical moment when you can, uh, when you can uh, uncover something creative together with somebody else who has a, you know, at one point had a very different vision of things, but all of a sudden it works and you get it. Um, you know, you can see why there are so many really powerful examples of film music throughout the years. Well, Matt, uh, thank you so much uh, for being a part of this podcast. Is there anything you'd like to say um, for the people listening? Uh, yeah, um, and thank you for having me. Um, it is uh, Our movie is out on iTunes. It's on Amazon, um, also on Blu-ray uh, through Amazon. Um, if you want to follow us, we're now uh, pushing a uh, – we're actually eligible for a Grammy Award for Best uh, music film is the category. Uh, so we're fiercely uh, fighting for that. If you know any Grammy members, you got to make sure you tell them, tell them about our film. Um, and, uh, and then we will be uh, at Florida state um, screening on Sunday night, uh, this, this upcoming Sunday night at 5 PM. Uh, and I'll be there and I'm excited to, uh, to see everybody there. And I, I, again, I thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Um, again, the film was really great at really introducing people to something that I think is overlooked. And even for people that are fans of film scores already, I think there's something that they're going to get from it that they haven't been able to previously. Yeah. And at the very least, you know, we, we were hoping, you know, it would be a roller coaster ride for people. They would enjoy it. So um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pretty confident that we were able to get, at least a little bit of that. You'll have a good time if you watch it. Oh, and let me also mention our social media, um, at score movie, uh, you follow us there and we're always putting new clips up and, you know, different, uh, different things, doing some giveaways and other things like that at score movie.